0: You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the Lore Edition, a podcast devoted to story-driven games. Here's your host, Joe.
1: And welcome back to Bow Down to Us, lore edition, episode 62. With me, as always, is Roger and the illustrious Vince. How are you boys doing today?
0: You got a title, dude. That's not <laughs> fair. Yeah, awesome. But you, got, you got to be
1: second. So I had to find some way to balance it. So you get to be second, and Vince gets a title get every it. week, randomly I, depending on my mood. I want a title. Great. <laughs> I want a title. Yeah, just, just remember really? who's a sidekick this week,
2: buddy. Really? <laughs> <laughs>
1: So to start things off, um, we got a new Deus Ex trailer. Now, Deus Ex is a game that many of us remember from way back in the day. uh, Basically, a game that a lot of us put a bunch of time into, a bunch of effort into and enjoyed the hell out of. Uh, Deus Ex is now being re-released in a new generation uh, with new graphics, a new story, uh, new everything. And it looks absolutely sweet. Now, Vince,
2: I'm pretty sure this was your link, right? That it was. Absolutely. Take it away, sir. All right, so we got another wonderful trailer here for Days X. This time, focusing a lot more on the gameplay, but not just the gameplay—the actual world itself and how it's all tied together into this really mind-blowing package. Um, we we see the the uh, main character having all of his various uh, cybernetic enhancements on his body. Uh, how? and how they all tie into the gameplay. There, there is the, the hacking element that, that we loved from the earlier games, how you can work your way around the battles instead of necessarily plowing through everything. Of course, that's still an option if you want it. But uh, <laughs> we see him going through the security terminals, activating uh, gun turrets and robots and all kinds of cool stuff. And just the game seems really, really going back to its... Uh, technological espionage roots that it kind of got away from a bit in the second game, but it's so nice to see a lot of the, the elements that I loved from the original Deus Ex really stepping up and taking the spotlight here. Uh, the, the cloaking, the stealth, um, the, the VR, like uh, X-ray vision was freaking mm-hmm. awesome. And it just not just from a gameplay standpoint, but it looks cool as hell too. you know, him seeing through objects, keeping track of his enemies only to bust out his giant, you know, Railgun and shoot through the walls at the enemy so it does seem like it's shaping up to be a very very interesting experience it's taking the the technology uh, of this alternate future to an even farther level than we've seen it before and it, it looks like not only is it going to be a great story a, a good game to, to to sit along for the ride for but it's going to be very very interesting to play it as well
1: for me the most important thing about what i saw from this is how much the technology is available now to actually do a story like this, a world like this, and do it justice. I mean, when we were doing it back in the day, we had crappy 2D graphics, pseudo 3D graphics that we were playing with, and still enjoy the hell out of it. But this is a game of essentially high technological fantasy. And to have something like this that looks so polished and to give you so many options and gameplay on top of it is just mind-blowing.
0: What I'm liking about this too is that you are going to be able to pick up this game and run with it even if you haven't played the other ones. Mm-hmm. You're 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 certainly going to get more from it if you've played the other ones. However, you will be able to bounce into it, really have a lot of fun even if you haven't played the other ones. And and I think that's important. I think that in so much as you have to, in your sequels, play pay homage to the, 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 the predecessors, the original games that came out, you also want to make it accessible to whoever wants to pick it up. The, the thing with the gaming industry is that it is growing so rapidly and you always have new gamers coming in that not everybody has played all, all of the older games. So it's important to make sure that people can hit the ground running and still have a lot of fun with it. And still make it something that is unbelievably deep and engaging, which this appears that it's going to be. And if you have played the other ones, then you have that extra cookie that it's even deeper for you.
2: Yeah, and just the- look. Like- just looking at the sheer number of options the game is giving you from the gameplay standpoints, that really seems like it's going to give the players a lot of control over how the game progresses. Like, and that, that's the one thing that I've always liked about the Deus Ex franchise is if you wanted to be stealthy, you could be stealthy. If you wanted to be a powerhouse, you could be a powerhouse, you know, long range, short range, however you wanted to play the game, those options were available to you. And while in a lot of, a lot of, um, More modern games, we've seen a lot of storytelling options outside of maybe Fallout. I can't think of any other recent games that have really explored a vast variety of gameplay options on top of the story options. And from what we're seeing here in the new Deus Ex, it seems like it's going to go pretty far with both sides of that.
1: Oh, it's it's going to definitely be a play the game as you want to play the game, and what's really cool about it too is the replayability that it's adding. You know, we we did this with Dragon Age, where we went through and we were the asshole, we went through we were the pillar of the community, we went through and we were the the womanizing charlatan, uh, Roger, and you know, it was we, fun. we were able to it was really fun. But it was a lot of fun because you were able to (laughs) go ahead and do so many different things right now to get another game like this that lets us have that option. That's just awesome, you know, so I think it's going to be pretty good now moving from that to another game that doesn't require you to play the predecessors in order to jump right in. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Fable 3. Yeah. Rod has been spending some time with this game and uh, I'm going to let him take this away.
2: Why are you laughing?
1: Oh, oh, <laughs> you'll, la- you'll laugh in a minute. Okay.
0: I, uh, I know that I've I've made a lot of jokes about the Fable series in the past, and certainly leading up to Fable Three, I made a lot of jokes as well too. Um, some of them based on my experience having played the other Fable games, um, but also in terms of what to expect in Three, and that's a big one because the Fable the the IP of Fable is not does not just belong to the fans, but it is a representation of Peter Mulliner who is the, of course, CEO for Lionhead. The thing is, is that inevitably with every Fable game, Peter decides what should be in the game. He decides what kind of grandiose scheme he has for Fable, and it's always reaching for the stars. And it's always impossible. It's a destination that's just impossible for the devs to actually be able to reach. And so you always have this concept of, what the Fable game should be, what it should have been, and then you have the reality of what the devs were able to accomplish. It is nowhere near as apparent as in Fable 3. As I've said before, I mean, going back to literally... Another podcast I used to record, there were aspects of Fable 2 that I really did like. There were a lot of aspects of Fable 2 that I really did like. There were also a lot of aspects that I really did not like, and I went a great lengths about it, bitching and complaining. Fable 3 has even less aspects that I like. <laughs> now, because it's a lore episode, let's actually talk about the story. So basically, you are the prince or princess. You are the child of... The hero of Fable 2, so basically if you played Fable 2, you're your child. However, unlike Mass Effect and the Dragon Age that's going to be coming up, there's no import of your save game from Fable 2. There's a very generic plot line of what the hero of Fable 2 was. You're that child, and it's as simple as that. Now, there's you and your brother, and he is the stereotypical evil brother. I mean, Disney could not have cast this better (laughs) as a stereotypical villain. Everything about him points to him being this evil, evil man that cares nothing for his people. So it very, very quickly, you take, I I don't want to say take take arms, but decide that you are going to try to dethrone him and take his place. Uh, Word of caution here, if you're listening, without wanting to, there's going to be spoilers here because I I have to discuss certain aspects of it and, and it does spoil certain things. So you're starting off and Peter went out of his way to say, "There's going to be amazing morality choices here because that's the the the, the word of the day. That's the, <laughs> that's the concept of the day when doing game designs right now is choices that revolve around morality choices that you're either good or evil and things like that. And that and that's something that again we we saw at length in Dragon Age. We saw at length in Mass Effect as well as in other games. And the problem is is that." Those games allowed you a modicum of, you know, that gray morality where, you know, you're more or less a good guy, but you don't mind breaking the rules a little bit once in a while. In Fable 3, your choices hover above you in the floating button mechanic, which I absolutely detest. It's terrible, but they made it very easy for you. And this is something that Peter said, too. And time and time again, apparently the people who played Fable 2 were stark, raving, freaking inbred, (laughs) banjo-playing, nose-picking stupid people. We could not grasp the complexity of menu buttons, so he gave us, you know, John Cleese. And the same holds true for morality choices, apparently your morality choices you know leave a little bit to desire so I'm gonna make it easy for you this is good it has a halo around it this is bad <laughs> it has flames okay just in case we're confused here flames, flames bad go halo good this is all you're going to see so basically you're hitting one or two buttons on your controller and that's it now to be fair I played both a good angelic damn near character as well as an evil bitch character. I didn't actually finish my angelical playthrough. I played through the the evil one just because it it happened to be the character I was playing more at the time. The problem is once again that Peter reached for the stars here. Your character is going to dethrone your brother and To do so, you need to win over a whole bunch of different villages and win over the villagers so that you can form armies, blah, 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 to then take over your brother. I say blah, 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 because quite frankly, we've seen this type of story so many times at this point. You cannot convince me that this is epic. We've seen it, we've been there. I'm sorry. The the it, it's not original and also it was not well done to make it feel epic. You win over villagers and you gain what is the currency in the game is um, guild seals. OK, it's it's different than in Fable 2. So you win these guild seals. And once you've reached X amount of guild seals per. um Per, per village for how many you need at that point you can proceed and you've got the support of the village if you have chosen to play as an evil character you basically can insult your way to winning as many gold seals as you want, and then you've won over the village. The problem is is that you're basically farting on freaking people, which, I'm sorry, Peter, you may think that this never gets old. It does. It's juvenile beyond belief, and it's an annoying thing. You're farting on people. You're riding them like a rodeo pony. You're, you're <laughs> threatening them. It's like, oh, come on. Give me a freaking break. And then you win them over. You get a gold seal. So you can... You know, terrorize a village, and win the amount of gold seals that you need. Guild seals, sorry, not gold seals. Guild seals in order to win the village over, so that it'll support you in dethroning your brother. But you can do so by being evil. And yet, when it comes to the cutscene where, yeah, you okay, you hit the marker, excellent. We're going to support you. It's always the positive. So here I was, and I wrote about this on the the review dressed in a freaking chicken costume that I won <laughs> from a quest that I did. I had terrorized the village. I had blood splattered all over myself from killing guard after guard, from freaking murdering anybody who, was, who dared bother me, I, she's farting on young children on the street, all manner of everything. But when I hit the amount of guild seals that I needed, the crowd was cheering Yay, we have a new Victor who is going to hero who's going to go and dethrone the evil prince Logan or you know King Logan. And and meanwhile, I just freaking kill half, half the village. You know, somebody's cheering for me and I killed his grandma in her sleep. It the game Peter reached for the stars in terms of what should have been in there. <laughs> and but the dev said, okay, but we can only do this much. Oh, that's good enough, put it in. And that's one of the things that we see throughout the game, which, I mean, I can go on for a long time. I'm not going to waste anybody's time here, but it's unfortunately that is part, the largest part, I think, of what really ruins this game in a lot of different ways. It's not designed to be played by anybody who wants to stray from the good moral choices and even if you follow just the good moral choices if you're enjoying any of the action which i mean peter said this is going to be more of an action game than a rpg which he was lying i mean seriously oh my god it this is not a action game it's an rpg you're sitting and you're listening if you thought that listening to the cutscenes for Dragon Age Origins was boring. Seriously, do not pick up this game. You will throw your controller at the TV. You will go make a ham sandwich, come back, finish the sandwich, then throw the controller and still won't be done. Especially once you dethrone the brother, which, no spoiler there, eventually you dethrone the brother. You are basically sitting on your throne, listening to people argue about what it is that you should do, and you're pressing one button, good or evil. And that's what the game becomes. It fails on a lot of different levels. I can still sadly see the potential of what it should have been, but unfortunately it fails on so many levels that I purchased this game and I had my finger on the purchase button for this and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. And I made the
1: wrong choice. Kicking your ass, huh? Big time. Although I will say this makes me very happy that I didn't waste the money on Fable 3 thinking, oh, man, this time, Maul, you can't be wrong. He's going to come through. He's
2: going to come through at least once. Yeah, no, no, it hasn't happened. Not going to happen.
1: I yeah I mean that and that's what I'm hearing from everybody and it's not just like one person reporting this it's a lot of people reporting this there are a lot of people saying the exact same thing and that in of itself makes it you know if if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck well it's probably a duck
0: it's a chicken in this case
1: no a deadly chicken of doom yeah I'll hail the murdering chicken so moving on from a game that we all hate to a game that Vince obviously loves, we have a uh, another Catherine trailer. Now, Catherine is this weird Japanese cel-shaded type game that is just all sorts of fucked up. I'm sorry, there is no other way to say it. You have everything from otaku nakedness with blonde curls a la Sailor Moon raping going on. Uh, sorry, bad word, but you know what? It, it, I can't really think of another way to say it. Um, and then you have all sorts of weird, like, pink seals and and just randomness waking up with horns on your head coming up from nightmares i mean what is this i mean i don't even know anymore vince
2: i i, I fail to see the negative in anything you said there
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Okay, so uh, we 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 talked about this. um, Was it our E3 episode or our TGS episode? I think it was our TGS episode. And of course, everybody made fun of me because I thought this was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So uh, this is we're still making fun of you, brother. (laughs) Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's that's not going away. This is now the third trailer they've they've uh, released for the game. I spared everybody the second one. (laughs) And of course, it's all still in Japanese. So I had to do a little bit of research on this one. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Ooh. Now, <laughs> still my the, heart the, did research. The story of the game revolves around the main character, Vincent. Just an average guy with an average life, and uh, he has trouble really making decisions. He, he's a very indecisive person. You know, he's, he's Clark Kent without the upside of being Superman. Uh, and he's been in a longtime relationship with his girlfriend, Catherine, with a K and you know, they've they've reached the point where Catherine wants a larger commitment from Vincent that he can't deliver, just psychologically cannot give her. At some point through the story, uh, this younger girl, Catherine, with a C, which is the title character in the game, shows up, and they end up hooking up. So uh, Vincent's really in some deep shit here. <laughs> Meanwhile, as all this is going on, men are turning up all over the city, dead just the life literally sucked out of them in their sleep but and yeah, And and the, <laughs> the common thread be, between all the victims is that they had uh, perpetrated some sort of infidelity in, in their romantic lives. So, of course, Vincent is freaking the fuck out because he just nailed Catherine with a C while he's thinking about marrying Catherine with a K. So that's really what a lot of the story of the game revolves around. And that's where we, we're starting to get the actual gameplay elements to uh, Atlas, put them up on their Japanese website, talking about how the game... Gameplay is divided into three segments. You have the daytime, which is the drama portion of the game, the cutscenes, the character interactions. You have the evening, which takes place in the bar, (laughs) the the stray sheep, as it's called. Um, (laughs) Sorry, go ahead. ah, Stupid chat room. (laughs) No stray (laughs) rabbits in Japan. (laughs) She's cooked them all. (laughs) okay so uh you you have the evening segments taking place in the bar the bar is called the stray sheep and and in the in the stray sheep you you get into uh, actual active conversations. Uh, you get to choose your dialogue choices. You receive messages on your cell phone. You can even create messages yourself uh, from pre-selected uh, options. And the, these choices you make, much like many Atlas games a la Persona, are going to affect how the game plays out, as well as there's bar games and drinking. Yes, your drunkenness does affect the game, because the more drunk you are, the more fucked up your dreams are. When you go to bed and enter the nightmare segment, the nightmare is what we've seen with all the freaky sheep and and all the insanity going on. And the more drunk you are, the more fucked up it is, but also the sooner you wake up and get out of it. So... There's a lot of elements coming together here that at least make it a very interesting game and that's that's one thing that's always been so appealing about the Atlas games. They take all of the the various aspects of normal everyday life and tie it together into a completely fucked up storyline that just it If you've ever played the Persona games, you understand how it is, you know, on one hand, you're a normal high school kid. On the other hand, as in Persona 4, you're climbing into the TV and fighting, you know, bizarre personas of regular people. So for someone like me who enjoys that sheer what the fuckery of the game, it's very appealing. And I would like to at least see an English version of a trailer to have more of a clue. It
1: looks interesting and I'll give it that it's. It's intriguing enough that even though it's really disturbing and even though there are things that I wish I hadn't seen um, in in many of these trailers, I'll be honest, it's got me to the point where I definitely want to get my hands on this game just to see what the fuck it's all about, you know, and you can tell me all the story about it. But when you get those weird visuals, there's just something that you have to see it for yourself. It's like. And I I, I hate to liken it but it's like Death Spank. Death Spank is absolutely (laughs) retarded, but you can't help but love it. You know, and then you have this game where it's going to be absolutely creepy and probably make you want to bleach your eyes several times while playing the game. But it's probably going to get a very devout following, um, very much like Persona. And Persona was a great game. The entire series for Persona was really fun. And this has the potential to be that same sort of weird, quirky, draw you in and, and make you just really exist in this world of pure, unadulterated what the fuckery. So I'm, I'm excited, but also nervous because I can see myself waking up in cold sweats, imagining that I'm actually got ram horns as a result of this damn game.
2: Anything, Raj? The hell no? Are you kidding me? Oh, i no. he's, no. he's, he's, he's still picking up his
1: pants from the sheep talk. What are you talking about? I'm sorry, but uh,
0: it, it, I'm all for games kind of straying from the norm and, and having a little bit of fun. But this is uh, the stereotypical Japanese so far over the top that it makes absolutely no sense. All it's missing missing at this point are tentacles to make it something that, you know, mainstream Everywhere else trailer. will want to play. So, uh, no, uh, there, there are so many games coming out that I desperately want to play and want to save time for. Oh, like GT5 coming out, dudes, this week. <sighs> that, frankly, freaking dreaming of sheep game. No, no, I, no, no. Well, wh-
1: no, let's let's not, take no. that. Let's take that, and let's move happen. it over to a game that actually makes a little more sense story wise. Um, recently, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood has come out, and it's a continuation of the story of Enzio. Um, Vince has been getting some time in on it. One of the most interesting things that I, uh, that Vince has noted about it is that the multiplayer aspect of the game actually plays into the story um we see this happen with games like bioshock 2 Bioshock 2 multiplayer plays a part in the actual story of the game but i'm kind of curious how
2: this actually fits in with assassin's creed vince what have you what have you been seeing so far with it Okay, so I actually, believe it or not, have not even touched the story mode in Assassin's Creed: Brotherhood yet. That is, in and of itself, a huge testament to just how engrossing the multiplayer is. I mean, this is a lore podcast; we're all about the story, and I haven't even touched the story yet. So, and I've heard, you know, the story is fantastic. It, it builds upon everything in Assassin's Creed 2. It's just as amazing uh, as far as you know the the quality of the story, as as well as the sheer insanity of part. Parts of it but at this point i don't care about that because the multiplayer is that great um the x ex- okay no the sorry ex- i was <laughs> just laughing because i played
0: it in the beta and it was yeah. and uh, what's what's cool the reason i'm laughing is because somebody else gets it you know and i'm glad yeah. more people are getting it because when i was playing it in the beta it was so different then what is the norm for for multiplayer games because it's not a go in and just shoot It's so subtle and and I loved it you you're on the edge of your seat not because you're running like crazy and whatever, but rather because you're looking for subtle hints of who's after you or who you're supposed to get so so hearing somebody else, Who's really enthusiastic about it? It makes me laugh.
2: Yeah. So the the whole concept of the multiplayer in Assassin's Creed is that you are an Abstergo agent. Abstergo being the uh, big corporation that is essentially the modern iteration of the Templars, the main villains throughout the Assassin's Creed storyline. And as the Abstergo agents are are training themselves to fight the. Uh, Assassins—they—they've basically taken bits of DNA out, out of people like Desmond, who have assassin memories in, in their in their uh, DNA, and are allowing you to experience life as an assassin to train yourself. To actually fight them in real life, so there, there's there's a nice story connection here, blending the uh, the history with the technology, and just kind of going along with it to a point where it makes sense. So I, I don't want to get too into the multiplayer because we've discussed it before. Uh, you you play as the various assassins, all just basically going through the city trying to kill each other. Uh, the thing that I most enjoy about it is every game has you know a couple people just running around, jumping around stabbing people. And the guy with the most kills never fails every time finishes dead last because <laughs> he gets a hundred points per kill. Whereas, you know, the people who are blending into the crowd and, you know, playing the game quote properly are getting four to 500 per kill. So it's, it's so, so interesting. And one thing that we haven't discussed previously is the the team-based versions of the multiplayer. Uh, the one that I'm absolutely loving is called Manhunt. Basically, it's two teams of four, and it's bit split up into two rounds, let's say offense and defense. Uh, when you're on offense, you have to kill as many of the opposing team as possible in a few minutes. When you're on defense, it's just about not getting killed, which is so, so much fun. You put yourself in into the role of that person, if you're, say, uh, the, bar- the barber. And you're wandering around town. All you have to do is hide. You don't have to kill anyone. So you go and try to find great places to just fool your opponents. At one point, I walked up to a storefront where there were three other barber NPCs shopping. I walked up and just stood in the middle of them, and my character started going yeah. through you know, an NPC animation. <laughs> I love that. So so it was so great when one of the enemy team members runs up to me because I'm on his radar, stands there completely dumbfounded, not knowing which one of us to kill, then i drop a smoke bomb, punch him in the face, and run like hell. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's so great just how immersive the multiplayer is. We've, talk and, we've talked so many times about immersive stories and immersive single-player modes. This is really the first time I've ever felt immersed in a multiplayer mode, and it's so groundbreaking and just flat-out different that I give Ubisoft so so much credit for just having the balls to try this and I, that's one of the go ahead roger i'm sorry
0: no no that's all right i was gonna say i don't want to cast a stereotype because i know that there's quite quite likely you know a lot of people younger people playing this as well and, i mean hell my son loved it but it's it it feels like the multiplayer that you know the dad place, or you know somebody who's older <laughs> it's not the go in halo all balls out shoot at everything kind of thing as well as most other multiplayer it's not that it's about subtlety and it is that moment when you walk into a crowd and and, and your character starts talking like all the others. And you blend in and you see the person that's sent to kill you come in and be looking at everybody. And if they're just out for the kill, they're going to slaughter everybody. It doesn't matter. But if they're also playing for points, you're going to see them wondering. Which one is it? Which one of you am I supposed to kill? <laughs> and I got to tell you, there's a tension there. You wouldn't think so, but there's more tension in that than being in somebody's crosshairs. It's like, oh, my God, he's right freaking there. And it's awesome. They, they pulled it off from what I saw on every
1: level. It just it just point blank works. One of the things, I mean, hearing about this is what's really making me excited. I'm picking it up Friday. Um, uh, it's it's going on sale uh, at a lot of places, and I will have a copy on Friday. Um, the only question I have to ask is, Vince, what system did you buy it for? I bought it for PS3. So I will be buying it for PS3 because I have to play this multiplayer with you. And that's, I mean... <laughs> The fact that the multiplayer alone is enough to buy this game makes me very happy. The first game, I mean, Assassin's Creed 2 had a very good storyline. The gameplay was phenomenal. It was a great game. And they're continuing this on in their single player, I'm sure. But they had that sort of immersion into the role of an assassin, of what the assassin does in that multiplayer aspect is just mind boggling. It's just, it absolutely blows me away and i can't wait to sit down and and get my hands on that controller and hide you know i can't wait to sit there and actually like have tactics in multiplayer i mean to sit there and and say well i'm going to be doing this okay well i'm going to be doing this okay here i am i'm going to be defending i'm going to be running this way and actually coordinating with people you know and 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 using all of the abilities of the assassin to stay alive or to murder my foes
2: so I, i really think that that's it's an awesome aspect of that game. Yeah, that that's what I love so much about the multiplayer here is in the single player, you can play the game wrong and still be successful. You know, you can just go through, kill everybody, run through the streets and still win the game. That is not an option in multiplayer. If you're the idiot running around, you're also the idiot getting killed every single time he comes around a corner. Because so it's. It, it, The important thing to note is that,
0: yeah, you can't actually defend against an attack. That's the important thing. So if you decide that you're just going to run around and kill, guess what? You are going to get killed as well. Because when you're the target, if you are that noticeable, the kill is easy. You're not, you can't defend from a kill. Again, if they're right on top of you, guess what? You are and you can't block a kill a, a kill attempt or anything like that it, it, the, the kill is made and that's that and I think that's what encourages you to play the game the way it was supposed to which is that, that fine subtlety and
1: that's what makes it work and I think that's a great aspect of the game now I'd like to move away from that and talk about another game that's breaking some of the shackles of its <laughs> oh. predecessors here. Yeah. That was a yeah, bad, bad. Yeah. Fun. Yeah.
2: I don't you guys do have those. no clue
1: where I'm you guys have no clue where I'm going with this one. I'm actually not going where you think. But <laughs> Warhammer is one of two games. <laughs> Warhammer is a gaming franchise that's been around for quite a long time under many different names. It started out originally as a role-playing game called Rogue Trader way back in the day and evolved thanks to Citadel Miniatures and TSR, uh, the original name behind Dungeons and Dragons, to an American company producing massive amounts of miniatures for tabletop war games, basically real-time strategy games with dice and figures. Um, It has been a very popular game for several years and one that I have partaken of in very, very heartily many, many times. In fact, I just dropped them they're probably 40, 50 bucks. I'm paying for minis. But (laughs) uh, they're producing a Warhammer 40K MMO. Now, Warhammer 40K is the futuristic war. We're talking about the original template that Blizzard ripped off for Marines. We're talking about, you want to talk about Zerg? go take a look at Tyranids. You want to talk about Protoss? Go look at Eldar. There's all these parallels that came before games that we know and love that exist in these worlds. The Warhammer 40k MMO is actually breaking away from traditional MMOs in many, many different ways. First of all, developers have already said that they're not going to be doing, like we've we've heard with Terra, the kill X of however many quests. They're going to be making it as immersive and as epic as possible. Why? The world is not just one small world. It is an entire universe at war. You're talking. about alien races that consume entire planets like aliens, you're talking about void demons, you're talking about space marines, heretic space marines, Imperial Guardsmen which are like militia, you have all these these different races and, and aspects coming together and clashing against an entire galaxy at war, it is a dark future, there are no traditional towns. You want to talk about towns? Congratulations. You're going to be on a assault ship somewhere if you're a Marine. You're going to be in a, an Imperial outpost. You're going to be in a hive mind. And so they're they're taking all these different aspects and they're they're breaking down this traditional, you know, MMO formula. And they're saying, what works for Warhammer 40K? We can't let you quest and, like, just kill X of stuff. You're a fucking Marine. You are a unit bred for war. Your war, your your quest is going to be going at Space Hulk that's infested with alien life forms, and go single handedly take it. Have fun. You know they're they're really breeding this sort of epic feel into it. The other thing that's really kind of interesting about it is they started recently talking about the UI. Now a lot of people take this for granted, and every game we play, every MMO we play, um, we sort of take ourselves away from the immersion because we are doing the exact same sort of mechanic over and over again. We're clicking buttons on an action bar. They're seeking to minimize this by adding a more action oriented, more first person shooter style type of MMO on top of what would be traditionally considered button clicking. So I think that's really interesting. And it's a very story rich environment to breed this type of game in. There's so much going on, so many different races, so many, so much different history. And it's absolutely amazing. Not to mention amazing visuals. What do you guys think?
0: I think that if they can do it well enough I think what's going to be cool is that for those people who are aware of it again it just like you said these are the guys that did it first okay I and mean, a lot of people give a lot of credit to Blizzard for a lot of what they've done without realizing that they kind of ripped off a mm-hmm. lot of their concepts from other places, many of them being the Warhammer games. Now, granted, I mean, when you're looking at even just the Warhammer games, they ripped off from a lot of Tolkien-esque things as well. Oh, yeah. You can always look back and find somebody ripped from somebody to improve upon it and make it better. But the ideas of orcs versus human kind of thing did not originate from Blizzard. So I think that with this, because a lot of it, they did actually come out with a lot of original concepts themselves i think that if it's done as well as it should be i think that having learned as much about mmo development as they hopefully have
2: i think they can do something really good with this and yeah, this is just a game that's going to require heavily on production values. because I mean, let's face it, if the, the the character models and you know the gameplay scenarios don't match up with the stuff that people have made in their own basements, it's going it's going to be a bit of a disappointment. So I, I'm definitely intrigued by it and, and I definitely want to see more.
1: Now, one thing I will say is uh, Vigil Games, the, the company that's doing uh, the Dark Millennia Online, has even said that they understand sort of the, the weight behind this IP. And we're not just talking about like a small group of sub gamers. We're talking multiple continents worth of gamers that will beat down their door with chain swords to get at their faces if it fails. <laughs> so they, they are. this is a direct quote from the, the CEO of, of Vigil Games. We understand that if we don't do this right, we will be beaten to death and chewed alive by Chainswords. So they <laughs> they understand the IP and they, they, they understand what they're doing, which makes me hopeful for it. Now, Warhammer 40K, the MMO, is not the only game that they're producing now. Warhammer 40K also has a new Dawn of War 2 expansion coming out. Now, Dawn of War 2 is a real-time strategy unlike... Uh, Starcraft 2 it is objective base. It is not just wiping out your enemy's units and base You have specific goals to accomplish with the units that you can produce or call down into battle You have to take certain points. You have to have a certain Quadrant controlled for a certain amount of time so that your army can advance it's a very different style of real-time strategy than most people are used to. And because it's so objective-oriented, or it's it's refreshing and causes people to think outside the box. Well, Retribution, the new expansion, is taking a look at this and actually adding some things that we didn't really have. Um, particularly, they're allowing people to play as orcs and tyranids now. Now, everybody knows orcs. Um, Orcs are just like the sort of giant brooding green thing like we've always seen and everywhere else, except in Warhammer 40K, they raid shit, put it together, call it whatever they want. Like, you know, a melt a rocket of awesomeness, generally explode themselves trying to cause whatever they can uh, in the form of mayhem. And it's just absolutely hysterical. They're sort of the comic relief of the the war torn future. Um, They also breed like rabbits and do hysterically awesome things like, you know. Take that nice Thunderhawk gunship that the space marines left unattended, yeah, we're going to paint it, call it our own, and fly it into the side of a ship. Now, the Tyranids, on the other hand, are an organic race. They are a sentient race of aliens that consume worlds for biomass and replicate themselves and are basically spent on consuming the entire universe being able to play as that you're you're the hive mind you are the mind behind this you are you are spawning things in different different areas you are telling what genetic manipulations to take place what sort of evolutions that you're forcing on your your troops that you can call down and it's sort of an interesting way to look at it because a lot of people look at Warhammer 40K and they look at it from the imperial side where you're space marines you are militia you are genetically engineered humans doing battle with guns and tanks and you understand that but this sort of You know, breaks that up a little bit and forces you to play as either a war boss that your entire goal is power and fame uh, to make giant war buggies or walkers or stompas or tyrannas, where you just you you want to devour and win and you have a hive mind behind you. It's it's refreshing and the amount of production they're putting into this is is kind of phenomenal as well. Screenshots show epic battles of strategy intact that coincide with a deep story for all of the campaigns. So I'm very excited to get my hands on that as well. You guys yeah. got nothing to say except for Cheerios? <laughs> I mean, if it was Cheerios, would you have paid attention? No, I, I definitely I, any, would have. Any, any, any
2: comments I have here, I'm actually going to tie into the next discussion. So I'll, I'll let that slide for now. Yeah, I, I Basically, I've said everything that
0: I, I thought. At this point here, I'm more... I'm interested to see what they're going to do. The problem is, is that right now we're at a point where we've become very jaded about upcoming MMOs, and as as much as we are excited about Terra, about the Republic, there's still a, a certain amount of trepidation, even for both of those. Let alone the lesser known titles who are tackling something as serious as say this one here so I think that it's come to a point where it's like I I really need to see it I need to know that they understand the, the the breadth of what it is they're tackling but on top of that that they have the means to to do it properly
1: and I think that if anybody can do it it's going to be THQ and that entire development team I've played Dawn of War, the original games, and I've been playing Dawn of War 2 pretty consistently, and they've always done a great job with taking care and developing this not only the, the real-time strategy aspect of multiplayer um, with team versus team or single player versus single player, but the crafting the story for each campaign is is very well done. So I have a lot of faith that they will do the mythos of this world justice in a real-time strategy environment. Now moving on from there, there's a third game being produced it's called warhammer 40k space marine basically uh it's a console game uh, that takes players into the savage future where humanity is fighting for survival against horrific alien demonic forces um players become the ultimate defender of humanity a mighty space marine sent to stop the brutal orc invasion of a vital forge world now forge worlds are these things that um they're essentially mineral balls that the the basically the building aspect of their um, basically their 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 building aspect of their the Imperium goes to sets up factories and produces war machines, armor, ammunition, ships, things like that. And here, a, you're basically sent to stop the uh, the ore horde from taking over a you know a vital forge world. It's it's basically the heart of the Imperium, so it's kind of interesting to see. All three sort of you have your single player um, aspect of the games being taken care of the MMO and the real time strategy all being taken care of in these very rich environments. And it's just it's nice to see some of this getting done because console games for single player. We see a lot of it, but something like this translates really well. I mean, the Fire Warrior game back a few years ago did phenomenally well on the PlayStation, too. And they've always had a good showing on consoles, but it's been a while since they've given it some attention. So I'm very interested to see how a lone space marine will take on an entire orc horde and how they're going to put the player through those paces. You
2: hey, see, that, that, that's what I'm looking forward to on this game. Like I didn't even know there was a previous console game, but for someone who, and a small confession here, unlike many other nerds, I never got into uh, tabletop or pen and paper type gaming. That's just an aspect of nerddom that was not part of my of my upbringing i, I was a lonely nerd sorry <laughs> so as such, surprise you know, I, there yeah. <laughs> what do i mean was uh-huh. yeah. no, no. <laughs> So the whole warty warty Jesus Christ the whole and you wonder warhammer, why you're so
1: <laughs> I'm taking away the illustrious title if you keep this up
2: yeah the whole warhammer franchise just was not something I was familiar with until you know much much older so seeing just a lot of the warhammer games coming out like as much as great as i heard dawn of war was it always seemed a little unapproachable to me a, a little too complex as an ip something that i didn't necessarily think I was allowed to play, let's say. <laughs> so seeing the space Marine game, which let's call it my first Warhammer. <laughs> first Warhammer. It, yeah. It, it seems like a must, much more accessible jumping off point for the franchise for me. Cause I love my console, you know, action RPGs. It, it, it's a genre I've always loved except for fable. <laughs> so it seems like a great point to get into this totally awesome looking franchise that just always seemed overwhelming for me on a much simpler point before getting into the absolute insanity of, let's say, the Dawn of War series. So it's something that definitely interests me at this point a lot more than the other two games we just talked about.
1: And I really want to hear your reaction. Hopefully you get a chance to play it because I'd love to hear your reaction as somebody who's never actually been in the IP, how you react to a game such as this. Now, I'm going to take one step back here and I'm going to say a word that I think everybody's been waiting to hear all night. Shattering. (laughs) By the time you are listening to this podcast, the world of Azeroth, as you know, it will be completely splintered into hundreds of thousands of pieces on fire, burning. Everything will be up in evil. You're going to see floods, tornadoes. You're going to see all sorts of ice and fire coming from the sky, cats and dogs living in sin. It'll be all sorts of mayhem. The shattering is basically Deathwing coming into the world, and we have confirmation that this patch is going to be coming tomorrow. The beta server has gone down. European uh, European gamers have started to download another 120 megabyte patch to their game systems, um, and they're already getting ready. So what, what does this mean? The first thing is... This is going to bring new class and race combinations for players to roll from a starting point. This means you want to play that, uh, that Dwarf Shaman, go right ahead. You want to play that Troll Druid, go ahead. You're going to have all sorts of new options, but only if you want to roll a new character. You want to go ahead and uh, pay to, to race change. You're going to have to wait, kind of understand that, until um, Cataclysm comes out. A lot of people are sad by it, but hey, what are you going to do? It's a matter of weeks. Come on. <laughs> it's a matter. It is a matter of weeks. But you're sad because you can't switch over. your freaking. <laughs> I'm character. so fucking tired of the blueberry. <laughs> that's another that's a story for another day. But this this is a, an important jump forward because the game is this marks the actual turning point of the game world. We've already started seeing some of the things added in. Right. Um, they, we've already started to see some people, uh, you know, some, some new water effects, new fire effects. Um, we started to see, um, all sorts of different things in the world, like the new talent system being implemented prior, but this actually changes the lore of the game. Desolus is not so desolate anymore. Teneris, part of it is flooded. The entire world is changing except for Arathi Highlands because apparently that's the new Westfall. Um, <laughs> it is. There's nothing that changed there and uh oh i'm uh, sorry it looks like i'm we are actually getting looking at it right now too <laughs> yeah give me give me a, give me a thumbs up or thumbs down to, for that one all right yes it
0: is <laughs> actually they, they are doing the race changes oh, immediately so yes. that was literally folks who are downloading oh, are yeah. gonna be like make up your minds folks listen sorry. this was literally minutes ago blizzard has said yes the race changes to the new race class combos will be immediately available
2: and I wanted to take a screenshot of my new Dwarf Shaman tomorrow and send it to you.
1: Well, you uh, will be able to.
2: That's yeah, but he'll have mean, one too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I know. But so there will
1: be a Dwarf Shaman as of tomorrow. Oh, man. Yes. Anyway. So, yes, folks, that is real. It was uh, live on the fly. So if you're downloading this, you now know. So... But it, it 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 marks a certain changing of the world and a sort of gravity of the world, right? We've been talking about this sort of ramping up of heroes in the game. We started out killing boars, then we moved on to killing demons, then we moved on to killing undead. Now we're going to be able to resurrect gods soon. And why are we doing this? Because Deathwing, a dragon aspect of death, probably the biggest, baddest asshole right now, next to like kill Jaden and Sargeras, is coming back into the world, and he's not playing for little piddly shit like Northrend. He's destroying the world. He wants to burn everything to the ground. We're going to start getting our epic quest chains. We're going to start getting, uh, you know, Deathwing flying around the world, setting fire to you, killing you if you stand in his path. It marks a turning point in the game, folks. So, get ready for Cataclysm. This is your starting point.
0: I think it's awesome. I, I actually, I know that Vince hasn't been playing right now, although he's been watching his girlfriend play. Um... But I actually have been playing more. I've been doing the quests that have been leading up to the shattering. Um, case in point, I just did one of the big elemental instances today, and I didn't win the in, the, the, the drop. But that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been following it and I've been really enjoying it. The, the cultists are right. The end is coming. And so I really love this. I really love that they're introducing it prior to Cataclysm as well so that you can kind of get ready for it. You can kind of experience the change in the world before the expansion comes out because it's all well and good to have the change occur with the expansion. that And you're freaking out because of all the different things and whatnot. But sometimes you kind of miss some of the things that are going on because you're so excited about the new starter zones or this and that. This allows you to be excited for Azeroth, the actual world, everything that's going on before the new races come out, before all of that crap. So you can really appreciate the depth of what is going on here. So I love that they're doing this beforehand. They're giving us a chance to really experience it, enjoy it feel for it and then by the time Cataclysm comes out we can all roll our worgens and our goblins and not
1: pay attention to it nearly as much you know what I mean well and I think another important thing too here is the ramp up you know we've talked about world events in the past and how they've done it and how they've done good and bad we've talked about the first world events that we had with the opening of the gates of AQ we're talking about the uh, demonic invasions the, the undead scourge invasions things like that But they kind of just happened, right? Like AQ had this buildup where you were gathering things and there was quest chains going on and there was sort of the slow build. So you kind of track the progress. Here, they literally indoctrinated the the changes by questing. You... Log into and all of a sudden you see cultists running around the city and your leaders are saying go find out what the hell is going on Why are people you know, saying the world's ending, you know, and before that we had the earth start shaking randomly everywhere You know, you're in Northrend You're in the middle of ICC and next thing you know, there's an earthquake rocking the Citadel, you know and this sort of this slow ramp up to this event it, It's just been so well planned and it's affecting Everywhere there is nowhere in the game that you could go that there isn't weird weather effects going on there that there's you know torrential rain in some places there is and i don't know if some people have noticed it but other places are getting brighter sun shafts if you actually have that that effect turned on you know the earthquakes that were we started out like rather infrequently are becoming every few moments the earth is like fuck this shit i'm about to break so you have this whole big ramp up that affects the entire world in every player And I think that's kind of important because they really did this right. Like they said that they wanted to make this the epic expansion. Well, they're already starting to do it by making sure that the pre-expansion event is just it's all encompassing, all engrossing. And that is what you want in an MMO. You want that MMO to draw you into the story and the events of the world of what's happening. So I'm thoroughly impressed.
0: Just a point for anybody who is uh, thinking when we were talking about the race class combos where you can pay to do the transfers as well, you cannot yet do the ones for the Goblins and Worgans. Obviously, that is locked out until the 7th, just so that everybody's clear on it. It, just like everything that you said, it, right now the ramp up is so unbelievably well done. I think that the ramp up for this it, it far supersedes anything we've seen so far, and it makes it so that you really are feeling like you are being part of an experience. It's it's too bad you're actually not playing right now, Vince, because I think that you would be able to actually appreciate this. Just that that feeling of there's something coming. You know, there's something big coming. Even if you weren't following all the news. You You would have that impending feeling of dread. Like today even, I was going through Stormwind and all the elementals are out and freaking busting down shop windows. Like there's bad things happening (laughs) here and it's cool as hell. One of them killed me and yet I'm still thinking it was well done. The ramp up for this is, it's that crescendo. It's so well done and tomorrow is that final you know loud scream of yeah, it's coming it's coming deathwing is on his way now and uh, again more so than any other expansion i think this one is winning on that front because it's getting players involved that are playing now to be able to feel like they're part of something bigger
1: and one thing that i kind of kind of wait around for is I don't know if they're gonna do some weird epic explosion before the servers oh, go down. Oh, dude. Personally, I think <laughs> that would be epic. But you bet your ass, you, you bet your sweet candy ass that I have a Red Bull waiting for tomorrow because I'm waiting up till the servers go down. <laughs> it's, that's gonna be like seven, seven, what,
0: seven thirty? I think I'm gonna log in and then servers are gonna go down at eight. So, Something like that. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be right outside freaking Stormwind and waiting. I, they they might not do anything what i'm gonna be there just to check
1: well there was a point in time where there was a demon lord beating down the door of stormwind at some point so they <laughs> they have been known to do some wacky crap to drive home uh, uh their their end of a uh, a pre event event well so it's,
0: that's the thing this is literally the end of wait it, it I mean, it's, 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 all, era. Let's, it, it's exactly what it is, because it's 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 funny. I was actually talking to the wife about this um, during the football game on Sunday because they had the cataclysm commercial. And I was laughing and saying, you know what? We've come to a point now where there's so many that people that are playing that putting a cataclysm commercial during a football game, as many people who are watching the football game, there's going to be a bunch of them that actually play as well. You can't have 12 million players without hitting all on a large demographic and this here is an end of an era there will come a point where people will be brand new players who will not have experienced any of the 6 years before that and 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 you can't call those 6 normal years i mean no they're not it's, they're it's, fanatical it's, years it's it's a it's a it is a t- period in time that we have now experienced that some other people will not That's huge for a game to have been able to do that is huge. And the fact that it's not over, it's just split down the middle now where you have the pre-cataclysm and the post-cataclysm. That is for a game to be able to, again, have accomplished that is
1: it's unbelievable. Well, not only that, and I want to talk about this. A little bit here. um Last night, and, and you can ask Tart about this or anybody else in, in the guild. Uh, now that Roger is a part of, how I'm sitting there and I'm actually lamenting the fact that the, that I was on my very, very last tiger run in ZG, and not because yeah. hold, on, hold, on a moment, hold on a second, but not because I wasn't going to get the mount. I love it as an instance it's turning into a quest hub so that 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 sort of iconic troll instance that's been with us for so long is no longer going to be there in that capacity it's gone you know and to, to have something that you've you've seen and maybe taken for granted for so long to actually be removed you know to, to be no longer there to to have you no longer be able to look at it and say i can just go there and poke around And it's something that had epic wipes and and epic weapons and events and different things like just so grand and and out of the normal that it's a shame to see it go. And, And it's little things like that, you know, it's little, little, little tiny things like that that make me. You know, sort of I don't want to say old man lament it, but it is it's the end of the era. It's like watching your favorite team in sports move to another city um, or, you know, the the stadium that you went to once a week, every week as a kid with your parents, you know, and just be tore down it's got that sort of feel to it. It's got that sort of gravity to it. And God damn it, if they didn't do it well, because I don't get emotional like this over a fucking MMO and I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, this is all going to be gone. I'm never going to be able to do this again. I mean, it's not even something you can load up on a classic server and see it's gone. That's the thing right there.
0: That's I know we're, we're kind of, Talking quite long about this, but I think that tonight of all nights it it warrants it. The fact that if tonight you decide to go to Dark Shore and kind of wander about amongst the murlocs and look around, that's the last time you're going to do it. And there's some big zones like that if you want to go through thousand needles guess what it's the last time you're doing it without a freaking snorkel mask <laughs> there's a lot of things like that where this is it literally two night is the last time you're going to be able to do a lot of those things and if you are an old schooler like like joe and myself who've been playing since freaking beta closed beta yeah i mean really we've been doing this Forever, this is no longer a game. It's 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 not a game. Joe and I have joked about it. A
1: damn profession, for Christ's sake! It's
0: it's Joe and I have talked about it because, like, I've played a lot of games over the years, and. In those times where I need to play a game to get my mind off of whatever might be happening or whatever, it's come to the point now where WoW is my comfort game, where I can just bounce in and have fun and relax, and it's so familiar and so friendly in terms of what I expect from it that it's, it's, it's what I need. And it's funny because... All of these zones, having played through them as many times as I have, it's interesting to think that literally tonight is the last time. And I and I know a lot of people bitch about Darkshore and say they never go over there. Every single tune that I level up spends time in Darkshore. Because I like the zone, I like the quests, and I like being there, and it reminds me of, again, I've said it before, back when my son made his tour, and I made my human rogue to go and hunt him down, I had decided (laughs) to do something different, I decided because he was human, I would take him to... Teldrassil and level as a night elf. Now this was so far back that nobody did that. I was one of the first humans to enter Teldrassil to level. I got so many whispers; it was unbelievable. People were asking yep. me how
1: I'd gotten there because people couldn't figure out how I'd gotten there it, even. I have a I have a similar story. I was a night elf that leveled in the dwarf zone. Exactly, people didn't do
0: that back then. No, they so. Didn't. Uh, ever since then i've made it a point regardless of whatever class i play or race i should say that i head and and quest on dark shore it's just one of those things and i like it and and right now thinking tonight that's it <laughs> this is okay. the last time you can in, do in, it and that's in honor huge. in honor of this
1: in honor of this i want to do something here for all three of us your very quickly very briefly your fondest memory from wow Roger go ahead oh Jesus I'll let Vince God. go first while I think
2: um <laughs> yeah thanks for thanks for the advance notice <laughs> live shows are live shows for a reason yeah great um I don't know just and and I'm in the minority here as much as Roger's in the minority of loving Dark Shore. I'm in the minority of loving the Plaguelands because that's where I spent a lot of time with my guild back in the day, back when it was still functional. And, you know, a, a big, you know, family is what we were. And we spent so much time out in the Plaguelands uh, killing uh, Araj and uh, what's his name? Um, the, the other dude. <laughs> the summoners. The, uh, the, the one. Oh God, I can't even fucking remember now. It was I think it was the, the quest that started at SI7 um, Blake collar. Okay. Okay. And we spent so much time there killing those guys, you know, because everybody had those quests. And of course, you know, through awesome planning, nobody ever had the quests at the same time. (laughs) So (laughs) we just, the, the creativity we had of seeing how, you know, how the different ways we can kill these guys and, you know, how few people being able to go into, uh, the city and take down a Raj with, you know, seven people instead of the, you know, the normal 20, <laughs> it, you know, it was just some good fun accomplishments. And that's where I spent a lot of time with my guild uh, between those events, uh, school events, Strathholm. I, I have a lot of love for those old undead areas and those two instances.
1: Okay. That's a very, very good uh, memory. Mine actually has to do with um, PVP. Okay. Recently, well, not so recently, within the last year, a, a member of our old farm team, our old Grand Marshal farm team actually passed away. And it was something that not a lot of us knew because it was very quiet. It was very, he kind of stepped away from the game, but nobody really knew. But this is the same guy that used to tell me at four o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sleep, he's like, get your ass and we're, we're going to go raid Toron Mill. We're going to go, we're going to get you your title. We're going to go ahead and we're going to get you your points. You know, and at a point in my life where I was going through a very rocky time, like, Roger, this is my comfort game. This is the same person that would whisper to me, I know shit's going on in your life. Let's go kill shit and take out your frustration. And this is somebody that I had just met through the game, never met face to face. And those are some of my fondest memories, sitting there at four o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning, when I can't sleep, when I'm feeling like the world is crashing down on me. And for that brief 20 or 30 minutes with people sitting on vent, having a good story, organizing and tactics and how to take Tormill and hold it for hours, making the, the horde bleed... Yes. So that that to me is my finest memory, is those, those bonds like that that you make with people, those, those sort of those events like that. And for me, it's that 4 a.m. PvP that took me out of a time of my life that sucked. All right. Well,
0: see, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing here because Tart is saying, oh, you alliance bastards, you essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Um I have some some Horde memories as well because I've played both actually equally. Um, I have a, f- a fantastic memory of taming the white-only quest lion on a PvP Winter realm. Winter Spring. On my, no, not Winter Spring. I'm talking about no. the Horde one and the barrels, yeah. Ekiaki, Ekiyaki. Oh. And this was back when this never happened. I was on my Night Elf and I tamed Ekiyaki by using nothing but emotes to talk to the horde (laughs) players so that on a (laughs) pvp realm so that i could tame him and that was that was like an unbelievable moment and we're talking again we're way 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 back in the day i mean when i showed up with that line nobody knew who he was nobody understood where he had come from now that being said that's still obviously not my favorite moment but it is a uh somewhat involving horde moment that I thought I'd share but favorite moment I'm going to go back again to my my human rogue that was created only to kill my son's tauren that he had made but when I'd taken him to Teldrassil to go and level him when I was in the second little village there I met up with someone who was trying to set up a guild and I started talking with this person. And now because this was a brand new character on a new realm. And again, we're talking, this was inside of the first few months of the game. Um, she wanted to start the guild and I decided to charge her which is something that I wouldn't do and so I said no it'll cost you and of course I mean talking way back in the day I asked for 50 silver for Christ's sakes <laughs> <laughs> now it's like freaking 10 gold if not more 50 silver and and she was somewhat aghast and I thought and I explained listen I never asked for money for these of things but I'm brand new here I'm trying to kill my son essentially, I need the money. And so we started chatting and we formed this fantastic friendship. And I actually followed her as she tried to recruit people to get the guild signatures, because unlike now when you required four signatures, <laughs> you needed the full 10 signatures. And so I helped her recruit, and then I actually ran with her to go and turn in the uh, the guild charter. And this was the second time she had tried, and she screwed up and chose the wrong option to buy another charter versus turning the existing one in. I know this is hard to understand how you can do it, but she managed to. So she was near tears at this point because she'd been going for hours trying to set up this guild, and so she was very disappointed. I said, no worries, we'll do it. We worked on it together. We again got all of the signatures because again, this is back then. This was a long time ago. It was harder to explain to people, you know, this is a guild. We were just trying to get the signatures to get the, the, the guild started and whatnot. It's not like you could go to a a major hub and just, you know, spam that you wanted signatures like now. So we got all the signatures, turned them in, and got the guild started, and we were all happy, and everybody's chatting, and by now, we'd gotten a chance to talk to each other as well. And it turns out she had done a typo on the guild charter. Uh, So it was wrong. uh, She was literally, by that point, really in tears. She'd had it, that was it, she was giving up. And we, by this point, spent hours chatting. And this was a friendly person, same as everybody else in the guild. And I said, you know what? Let me fix this for you. I asked her how much gold she had on her, which at the time, again, she did not have a lot. She gave me a few gold in case I needed to bribe people. And she trusted me. I said, just give me a, let me see what I can do here. And I bought the charter. I ran around all over t- Teldersill. I got the signatures from some of the people whom we'd already gotten. I bribed some people for some others. I worked my way back to her. This took a long time. Worked my way back to her. I turned the charter in with the proper signature. Everything's good to go. I gave her her change back from the bribe <laughs> money. say said, here you go. Here's your money. Plus, you know what? Here's the 50 silver that you were going to give me. I'm sorry. You Trust me. You deserve this. Here you go turned in the charter then I signed the guild to her and she had her guild and you know what I stayed in that guild for well over a year maybe 2 years and I only left because of complications with other members down the road but it was so unbelievably epic that moment and that person became a friend for years and it's
1: it's that that's what that game done it's 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 unbelievable uh, and you know what if you're listening to this podcast, stop by bowdowntous.com, join our forums, stop by the World of Warcraft forum thread, share with us your favorite memory pre-shattering of World of Warcraft, whether it's a friend you made that stayed with you forever, whether you met your your wife, uh, fiance, husband, uh, whether it was just making a damn good friend or whether it was just ultimate ponage in the middle of Blackwing Lair waiting for the raid to start. Let us know what your fondest memory is. I'd love to hear from you. And with that, I think we're going to call it a night. Um, Everybody, thank you for stopping by again. Be sure to download our Bow Down to Us Games Edition. Um, Wonderful episode with Vince, Roger, and myself. And be sure to stop by the site and uh, hang out with us a little bit. We like you guys.
0: Don't forget that if you're actually listening live, you're going to want to download the version of this podcast because it will include a fantastic review of The Shattering from Joe.
1: I was going to say that after that, but
0: thanks. You were not. I
1: totally was. You were so I not. I totally was.
0: Okay, well, I beat you to it. And I yes. actually, <laughs> I was giving you
1: props, man. It was like
0: an <laughs> awesome freaking chattering <laughs> review of the novel by none other than Joe. Could <laughs> you have serious, done better than Joe? that? Seriously?
1: No, 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 no. I, I don't I, think I don't, you could have. No, nah, I don't think so. There you go. <laughs> I. So you could so just close out. <laughs> We're done. So thanks, everybody, for showing up. Uh, have yourselves a good night. Drive safe, you know? <laughs> They're at home listening, you know? Nuts. <laughs> Some people listen from work. You never know.
0: All right. We're done. I'm cutting along before that.
2: <laughs>
0: huh.
1: My name is Joe, and I am from Bow Down to Us. This is a review of The Shattering, a novel by Christy Golden. Christy Golden is back again with another Warcraft novel. She has written such books as Lord of the Clans, Rise of the Horde, and Arthas Rise of the Lich King. The Shattering is an exploration of the events that lead up to the great cataclysmic return of Deathwing to Azeroth. With a title like The Shattering, you would expect it to be overflowing with action and combat. The truth is, though, that it does not. Instead, the story really revolves around giving us some very deep insight into the various characters involved in the story of Azeroth, both new and old. What really drives the story here are the politics of the world and the personal relationships between characters. There are many retellings and synopses of the story widely available over the internet, so this review will shy away from that. This said, the review will contain spoilers, so please be warned. The events contained in this novel are considered canon to the lore and development of the World of Warcraft Cataclysm. The story opens with us learning that Drek'thar, leader of the Frostwolf clan and tutor to Thrall, has been plagued with nightmares since the events of the novel Stormrage. The once mighty shaman feared by the Alliance, defender of Alteric Valley, is now essentially laid low. From the outside, it is easy to see that these nightmares are in truth prophecy or visions of things to come but the reactions of Drek'thar's companion and caretaker, Palkar, make it very easy to imagine how it looks from the outside looking in. Once tall and mighty, Drek'thar is now blind and weak and seemingly succumbing to old age and dementia. Every time he wakes to share news of his visions and to war and thrall, it comes across more as the ramblings of a person without their wits and are easily dismissed. This opening sequence makes you feel for the Eighteen Shaman and really tugs at your heart. It also sets the tone for the rest of the story. From here, we move to the budding dynamic between Karen Bloodhoof and Garrosh Hellscream. The old tauren is sent to retrieve Hellscream from Northrend. Again, we are treated to a scene of heart-wrenching proportions as we are reintroduced to Sarfang, the senior. His son was killed at the Wrathgate, only to be resurrected as one of the Lich King's most powerful minions. Adventurers eventually slew the undead form of Sarfang, Jr., and his father recovered the body to give it a proper burial. You can see that the wound is still fresh in the noble warrior's heart, and is heavier than any armor he has ever worn. Cairn makes note that the troops under the command of Hellscream hold him as a hero, and you can begin to see a shifting of the political atmosphere of the Horde. A giant victory has been achieved, and Garrosh is believed to have been a large, if not the sole, part of that. It is the same sort of fervor that we saw when the Horde was behind Garrosh's father in the earlier wars. From this point on, we see a shift towards the glory days of the Horde. With resources and Duraton dwindling, this makes a lot of sense. Life is growing harder around the seat of power for the Horde, and in times of trouble, a population tends to focus on the sensational. It's something we've seen throughout history, even in modern day. This is one of those few times you start to see the real political side of the Horde, and that's something pretty amazing. This also begins the journey for us to see Garrosh as more than a one-dimensional character. Garrosh cares about the Horde. Sure, he may not have the greatest ideas or be politically neutral, but he cares about the Horde deeply. He doesn't want to see it splinter or become weak and get preyed upon. You begin to see this after the death of Karen Bloodhoof, as Garrosh begins to see that he was taken advantage of by Magtha Grimtotem and her plot to steal power of the Torn. There's a sort of awakening, and you can see that the actions have wounded and dishonored him. The entire book gives us a promise here that Garrosh will be more than just someone who wants to bash heads in, and may have the potential to grow into a much more lovable character. The biggest part of the book for me, though, were the sections that dealt with Adwin Rin, son of King Varian Wrynn of Stormwind. We all know about the king and his two personalities fighting for dominance, but his son has always been sort of a loose end. The character has watched his father disappear, presumed dead, has become king at a very young age, has had his trusted regent turn out to be no other than Anixia. Adwin's surrogate, father and protector died at the Rathgate, and his mother killed at the hands of a defiant uprising. Not to mention the events of the Emerald Nightmare and the constant war between the Horde and the Alliance. We see that the small boy has grown into a wise young man. He is knowledgeable not only in the ways of the court and politics, but has a keen eye for observation and is a natural orator. Anyone can plainly see he cares about his people, you can see this at the service in Stormwind being held for the fallen warriors of the Alliance. King Varian disappears to attend to business in the form of a messenger. While taking while talking with the Courier, Rin has an episode of battle between the essence of Logash and his own, normally calm, demeanor. Adwin, having come to check on his father, sees the episode and scolds his father for abandoning the people during the service. He turns on his heel and returns to the public with a warm and caring expression on his face going against his inner turmoil. We really get a sense that Adwin is growing up and will be a leader of the Alliance, has been looking for, for quite some time. There's an event where an earthquake ravages the Dwarven kingdom, causing citizens to be injured as buildings collapse. Adwin rushes to the the aid of the Dwarven people. He tends wounds and even gets dirty trying to dig out trapped dwarves, not caring about his own safety. You can feel his compassion wafting from the pages. So powerful is this, that King Magni suggests that maybe the boy isn't supposed to be a warrior of the sword and shield, but maybe his calling lies elsewhere. Magni gifts Edwin with an ancient dwarven weapon named Fearbreaker, and tells the boy to speak with the high priest Rohan about perhaps serving the light. What is interesting to me here is that all other characters up to now in WoW's story have been combatants, mages, warriors, hunters, even Turand, Tyrande is a warrior priestess, and to see what will likely be a big player in the future story of the game shift towards an agent of peace in such a manner is actually really impressive. This brought even more to the front when Adwin meets Bane Bloodhoof in the aftermath of Cairn's death. Bane Bloodhoof is the son of Cairn, and now default leader of the Tauren. Instead of aggressively attacking the Torn, Adouin treats him as an equal. He feels for Bane's lost, and in what is likely one of the biggest statements of peace between the Alliance and Horde, Edwin gifts Bane Fearbreaker to help in the upcoming battle to avenge Caring, and to reclaim the honor of the torn people. We walk away from this part of the story seeing not only that Thrall and Jaina can have a good working relationship, but there is potential in Edwin and Bane as well. My only criticism about the entire novel are the parts that deal with the interaction between Thrall and Agra. It starts out as a mutual dislike and distrust between the two, but warms to a form of affection. While I have no problem with this, it is the speed in which it happens that I find troubling. Upon first meeting Thrall, Agra has already made up her mind about him, dubbing him the bloodthirsty war chief. She comments on how he has abandoned the ways of the shaman for his precious hoard. Thrall views her as overly rigid and stern, and possibly even a little spoiled. Over a very short period of time, the two develop a fondness for each other. While I'm happy that Thrall has found a new love interest, I think it happened far too quickly. Going from dislike to affection takes time. While it is true that they share a rather intimate connection, having gone through Thrall's vision quest and seen how Thrall has been shaped into what he is and how the elements have touched him, it just doesn't seem like enough transpired between the two to really shape their distrust and dislike as fast as it was written. I would have liked to have seen more interaction between these two, something that would have further facilitated this change in behavior and feeling. Still, the book is a fantastic read that bridges the gap on the events after the fall of the Lich King and the breaking of Azeroth quite well. The characters, as always, are wonderfully developed, and we start to see how much more personality from all the rest of the cast we can get, and not just those we consider main characters. If you haven't picked it up, I highly suggest you do. It's well worth the money and well worth the time investment.